Hello, I am Donna Edda, and this is Interested, a podcast bringing you stories from brilliant minds to inspire health, love, and personal growth. Hello, ladies and germs, or should I be more accurate and say, bacterias? Gut health is a fascinating topic. Today, I have the privilege to bring you Dr. Benita Perch, a fountain of knowledge and experience in this field. So Benita is a naturopathic physician and has been practicing for a decade. She is the managing director and senior partner at Integrated Medicine Institute, also known as IMI. She is a wonderful blend of clinical scientific knowledge and intuitive wisdom. Benita has the ability to unravel complex autoimmune conditions and treat the root cause of them. In this conversation, we'll be discussing what is a healthy gut, how it affects our quality of life, and simple tips that will help us be happier. Without further ado, I bring you Dr. Benita Perch. Hi, Benita, how's it going? Good, thank you for Uh, having me. Thank you so much for being here. Today, I wanna talk about the desire to feel good. I wanna dive right into gut health and understand what that is and what you think will be really beneficial for most of us to understand Mm -hmm. so um the gut is also known as our other brain right there's the brain gut axis that we know of can you explain more about that and the importance of that sure i mean what's really interesting is there are actually more receptors for serotonin which is sort of known as the happy hormone in the brain in the gut than there are in the brain so just that gives you an indication of how important the gut is in the way that our brain functions um, and the gut is really interesting it's it's a microcosm of a whole lot of different stuff you have good bacteria you have bad bacteria you have parasites you have yeasts and all of them some of them should be there some of them should be there in small amounts some should be there in bigger amounts um, and the issue with gut health is when this sort of imb- the imbalance happens among all these sort of people that should live together. And that's sort of the concept of what we call dysbiosis, where the gut goes from being in biosis and happy and a happy microcosm for things to be off. Um, And that causes lots of issues because even, I mean, the research is, is so interesting now is that certain, like the good bacteria will help with lowering brain inflammation and helping to have a better mood. And the overgrowth of certain bacteria that are always part of our normal gut, but when they get overgrown, become a problem, will cause, you know, will cause brain inflammation and cause a negative mood. And then you throw in sort of the concept of um, foods and, you know, like how different foods, especially gluten, can cause issues with the gut lining and cause leaky gut. Yes. Um, so you have, so you, it's, it's a, it's a complex sort of piece that's going on because, and then you have the nervous system that has to, the motility of the nervous system to push things through. And then those same bacteria, if they overgrow can cause release toxins that mess with that nervous system. And then you end up with constipation. So it's really wow. a complex piece. And if, even from the research perspective and from a nat, in naturopathic medicine, the gut has been something that we've treated since the beginning. It's always been the cornerstone of our medicine. You treat the gut as the first thing. Mm. Um, and what's so interesting is the research now is catching up with the philosophy that we've had always in the way that we've treated. But as the research is coming out, it's becoming more and more co- like certain and complex that this is not a simple 
yes and no. You know, there's not one pro, but like this, everyone wants a simple answer. If I take this probiotic, is this going to happen? Yes, I, I was going to ask you that further down the line. And it's it's just not that simple. And everybody is different. Yes. So what your gut might work for your gut will not work for your friend's gut sitting next to you. Um, because you come from different ancestry and you've you've grown up and in different places mm. in the world and so everything it, it's 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 fascinating to be in this industry and to see the research but it's also kind of mind-boggling in the same way because you constantly realize you only know such a little and you I'm constantly learning constantly learning all the time so that kind of gives an understanding of like you know how complex the pieces are that you've got to go to think about when you think about gut health so there is no such thing as the standard gut health. There's no one measurement that we should all strive for. No. That's what's so interesting is that everybody's, you know, has a different sort of mix of bacteria and also should have a different mix of bacteria based on them. And so that's what's really, really interesting. Is there a magic ratio between certain bacteria in the gut? No, I wouldn't say there's a magic ratio. I mean, definitely there's testing that we can do, which kind of gives very broad strokes of, you know, what are your levels of good bacteria? Are they of a certain level? Do you have overgrowth of some bad bacteria, overgrowth of yeast and parasites that shouldn't be there? Mm. So we can get that information now. Um, but it's still like touching the surface because even of the good bacteria they test, there's some other good bacteria that's coming out in the research yet that we're not really able to do in the commercial testing yet. Right. Which is quite interesting. Um, it's what's definitely some of, What's some of those? Oh, there's one that starts with an R. I'm blanking on some of the names. I was at a really interesting gut, like a research gut congress last year, which was really fascinating because it's not the clinical side. It's the people who are doing the research on gut health. And they were talking about all these different other ones that are, are so important. Right. But that's where diet is really interesting because... The like what is clear in all the research is the more different types of food you eat, the more different type of bacteria you. So I think the recommendation is somehow I think it's over two hundred foods a week or something. I might have that number slightly, but okay. basically, or well, a hundred different foods. Basically, the more different types of foods you eat, the, the you're feeding the different types of bacteria in your gut, and so that actually is in a way more important than what you're eating is well that's not entirely true but it's very it's variety that is so essential to feeding all these different types of bacteria and what's become a problem in the western diets um is that we kind of get in the habit of eating the same foods all the time and what's available to us yeah because you know if you think about it a long time ago you kind of foraged and what you found you found and so you were always eating Different foods. Nibbits of everything and everywhere. Everything. Or even when I grew up in South Africa, we still could only eat seasonally, right? You didn't have certain fruits. It was, wasn't available because you had what the local farms had. Yes. So you were almost forced to eat differently based on seasons. But nowadays, you want strawberries? You go to the shop, you can get strawberries wherever you want from the world. So you kind of, in a way pick what you really like, but then you become much more narrow with your eating. And that's one of the big things that's affecting gut health. It's just the fact that we're not eating a variety of foods. Right. The other big piece is um, the use of antibiotics and hormones in, in agriculture. And one of the things that's not talked about, especially in Asia, which is quite interesting, is the WHO, one of their biggest issues is antimicrobial resistance, which they're really worried about worldwide. And that issue has not come because of... Yes, um, giving over 
like prescribing antibiotics in the medical system has contributed, but that's not actually the big issue. The big issue is the fact that the protein that a lot of us people are eating in the world is full of antibiotics. And what I'm starting to see in stool testing, which is really starting to freak my brain a little bit, is a lot of my patients who have overgrowth of bacteria are starting to show antibiotic resistance to the to the because the the stool testing can test which of the natural things and which right. of the antibiotics. And sometimes the patients never even had that antibiotic or they've had it once. And so it's that bacteria, somewhere along the line, that overgrowth of the bacteria, wherever they got it from, has developed antibiotic resistance. And that really is starting to worry me. And I think that is something that's not talked about that much. I mean, it is in our world, but is underestimated of how much of an impact that's having on our gut health and where some of the overgrowth of the bad stuff and that's it's usually in the from, meat, right? It's in our meat. It's in a lot. Unless you're eating, making sure that you're eating organic, you know, grass-fed or pasture-raised food, you're going to be eating. And oil. I mean, even even so, like you've really got to look at make sure that your things have have not ever had antibiotics or hormones. But that's not even enough because they can still be grain-fed, and you don't know what's in. So yes, there's traces of it everywhere. everywhere, and you can see why the vegan movement is gaining such yeah. traction. Because, firstly, from an environmental perspective, but also from a health perspective. Um, so yeah, so that's another massive piece that's playing into gut health, and then it's just also what we're eating. The mm-hmm. more refined carbs, the more sugar, the more fried food you eat, the more it's going to feed the stuff that is not so good. Also, fried stuff are really yeah. bad as well. well. I thought sugar was the no, but Big the one. bad oils also have a massive impact, especially on, you know, inflammation, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Right. So that's the other big impact is just what people are eating um, is really starting to affect their gut health as well. On the flip side, if you turn that on its head and you eat a diet that's very high in, you know, lots of veggies and, and, and good fruit and um, your grains that are whole grains, that's going to feed all the good stuff. And that's what the good stuff goes. I oh, thank you very much. You know, right. like you're giving me what I need. So there's so much that we have control over with our gut health as well. If I can't buy organic all the time, is it still better to have a plant-based diet? I would almost say if you had the choice between, yeah, like a grain-fed steak that had hormones and plant food, I'd probably go with the plant, hands down, yeah. If you can have a you know, grass-fed piece of steak once every two weeks, that's probably good for the body, especially females. Because, right. you know, oh, once every two weeks? Good, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping once every so week. <laughs> Maybe once. Yeah, it right. depends on the size of what piece. you're eating. If you're having a, yeah, a small Would you say that white meat is better, fish is better? Um, not necessarily. Right. You know, like... Red meat, if it's grass-fed, which has more omega-3s and a balance, is actually pretty good for you, and especially for females, because women lack iron. Mm. Um, and again, because of the food, our food quality not being as good as it may have been 50 years ago, it's very, very hard to get enough iron from a plant-based diet. I would pretty say all my vegan and vegetarian patients have to take extra iron because they just can't keep their iron stores up. So I would say, yeah, a little bit of really good quality red meat is quite good and then you know chicken's not necessarily healthier it's also very high so people always kind of have this idea that chicken you know it's especially when they cage chickens exactly and it's much harder to get good quality chicken and um, poultry than it is to get um beef beef and lamb 
just because of the way in the industry is set up. Exactly. So that's quite interesting. And then fish is also an interesting one, right? Because you've got all the issues of overfishing and then you've got all the toxicity issues. So things like sardines are good because they're really small and very yeah. high in omega-3, so they don't accumulate a lot of toxins. Wild Alaskan salmon or maybe like Tasmanian farm salmon because it's meant to be better in the way of their farming practices, have less toxins. Generally wild fish, but again, it depends which ocean. So my right. general rule, and I don't even know if this is totally even based truly anymore because there was all the radiation issues from Japan. So we don't know what happened in the Alaskan sea area, right. but that's generally the rule. Like somewhere up Alaskan Greenland, <laughs> Tasmania, Australia, probably South African waters. Fish from there is probably... Yeah, the happier fish. The happier fish, healthier. Pretty much anything else you don't want to be so eating. Much. And anything farmed you don't want to be eating. And anything from the South China Sea you definitely yeah, don't want to be Yeah, when eating. they sell local fish, fish at the market, I am not yeah. touching it. So you can see why it's become... It's like, so this gut health thing is, is super... It's so integrated. It's so integrated. Like you, you just, it's, it's so hard to pull apart because it's not just oh, you can do one thing, just take a probiotic and everything's going to be okay. Like, yes, that helps, but it's just one little piece. How do we know when our gut is not healthy? So lots of symptoms, but it's sometimes not even so obvious. So the obvious symptoms your gut isn't healthy is, you know, bloating, lots of gas. Like people think it's normal to have gas. A healthy gut actually doesn't have a lot of gas. Mm. Um, Stools, not going to the bathroom every day. You really should be going to the bathroom every day. That's how we eliminate toxins so the minute yeah. you're not going to the bathroom every day you know that something is sluggish um the state of the stools whether they're sticky or not so you know like there's a poo not chart to be graphic, right? there's a poo chart <laughs> and also you know when your poo sticks to the toilet bowl yeah. or sticks to you something's not good right? right poo should be clean it should be formed it should just be a good process um that's the big thing whether it's formed whether it's hard to push out whether it comes out easily so those are sort of some of the basic issues that you can think about though something is wrong in my gut mm. but what's really interesting is i can have people who have gut issues that have zero gut symptoms it's all related to inflammation so your chronic headaches your chronic pain autoimmune disease um like you name it like can be linked to what's to growing in your gut Yes, and especially mood stuff as well. So I have people who are highly gluten intolerant, who have chronic anxiety and depression with no gut issues. You take gluten out their diet, you see major shifts. I have a little girl I've treated recently who had chronic tics, and it's all from gluten. Um, and she's even noticed it. Like, she struggles a little bit, obviously, because she's 12 and it's hard. But when she's clean, like her whole mood shifts, and yet she doesn't have major gut issues. So it's quite interesting. Sometimes How long does it be take for you to see the results? Three to four weeks usually. Wow. So that's why a lot of people say, oh, I tried to go off something. And I'm like, how long did you go off it? Like a week. And I'm like, well, especially with something like dairy, it can take even six weeks for the antibodies to clear out the body. Um, and wow. gluten is, is an interesting one because gluten does such damage to the gut lining. So gluten often, the longer you're off it, the better you feel. So you might start to notice a benefit after two or three weeks, but often it's, it's over months that you, if you're able to stay strict. And there is a chance that once you heal the gut, you can eat all that stuff again, right? Yeah. So usually, I mean, I, it's, it's an inter it depends how badly intolerant you are mm. and how prone you are to inflammation. So the other piece that's really interesting that we can do now in te the testing world is we can look at genetics and look at a little bit of your ep epigenetic tendencies. Right. So I have some patients who are incredibly prone to inflammation. 
So they might have a very slight intolerance to a food, but that food has a massive impact on their bodies. So let's just go back to epigenetics, epigenetics. because that is so interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think it unlocks a lot of valuable it really information. Does. So can you give Explain. an explanation? Yes. So epigenetics is an interesting phenomenon. So in our, our genes, you know, we get half our genes from our mom and our dad. Some genes are sort of the way you are. You know, like if someone's going to have Down syndrome, they've got the gene, it's not changeable. But a lot of our genes are what we call um, epigenetic genes, which they, they turn on and off based on lifestyle and environmental exposures and like the concept of methylation that turns genes on and off. So we actually have a little bit of control over some of our genetics. Um, and also you can do things. So let's say you're not a good detoxer or you're very prone to inflammation. You can take certain supplements or make certain dietary and lifestyle changes that are going to help protect you from that. What's incredibly interesting is we've been talking to a company in the UK who are taking it one step further. So we can look at genes. So the testing we do a lot now is what we call epigenetic testing, which looks at these genes that you have and what your sort of predisposition tendencies are. They're doing the real-time testing where they can see if those genes are on and off. So they can look at like your biology of age and see how well a whole bunch of genes are methylating and they can tell you right now. And then you can actually make changes and then retest to get real-time information of your genetics. So for me, that's mind-blowing because that's taking it even one step further than what I've been able to do up until now, which is really look at predisposition, but I still don't know exactly what's happening real-time. So are they using that st- um, that test to treat patient at the at yeah, this moment? Yeah, so they, they're starting to with some of their partners in the sense of, you know, you get the test, you kind of see, and then you put a bunch of pieces so you can use the epigenetic genetic information to make changes in lifestyle, and then you redo the test and you can kind of see. So let's say if you're not a good detoxer and your, your age is much higher than your actual age. Right. And then you put them on sort of you know, things like turmeric and glutathione and a bunch of things and you get methylation stuff and you get everything working better and then retest to see wow. what change. And they say even within three months you can see, which is quite interesting because that's my always big thing with my patients. I'm like, you've got to give it three to six months to really see changes. And they say three months you start to see changes in wow. the genetics. That's so amazing. fascinating. Like to me, it's mind-blowing that you can take it. They, I mean, it's still very expensive, the technology, but it's mind-blowing that you can take it to that next level now. Yeah, because there was so much guessing involved before. I mean, I remember seeing you in 2015 when I had my food intolerances Mm -hmm. and we did blood tests. None of this was even on the table Table. at that time. Totally. So it's shifting all the time. So then now would you just do the epigenetic test and not do the blood test for food intolerance or they kind of go hand in hand? They go in hand in hand. So so as I was saying, so let's say you are very prone to inflammation. Mm. Then, and you get a food intolerance test back. So in some people, um, like just being slightly intolerant for a food, you wouldn't really have an impact. But if you're somebody who's incredibly prone to inflammation, then even that slight reaction to a food can be having a massive impact. So I have a colleague who's very, very sensitive. Like I've seen her genetics. She's got the worst inflammation panel I've ever seen. Her genes are just off the charts. And for her, she's always worked with her hands. So she just cheats a little bit. And she automatically will feel the pain in her fingers. But it's because her... So wow. so her case is interesting. And we go back to that idea of if you fix the gut. So, yes, for some people, 
you fix the gut and usually they can get away maybe with cheating once or twice a week and it's absolutely fine. But for people who are incredibly prone to inflammation from a genetic perspective, unless they manage to get inflammation down in every other level of their life, you know, they're out of pollution, they really have no stress, mm. then probably even with getting everything right, they'll probably still have a slight reaction to a food if they're incredibly prone to inflammation. So there's no room for cheating. There's no room for cheating, depending on the other aspects of their life. Right. So that's why a lot of people can cheat often when they're on holiday, right? Because usually they're not stressed, so there's none of inflammation from that. More Being out of Hong Kong, they've got more sunshine, there's not as much pollution. So suddenly there's less inflammation from other places, which allows them to kind of cheat a little without having a reaction. Right. So it's a balancing act in all the pieces that are going on. So with the genetic expression, so for example, it's been sleeping for a while and then all of a sudden you're exposed to all these information yes. and then it comes out and this person develops a gluten intolerance. So it will go away, right? Once you heal the inflammation or once it's awake, it's going to hang around. Um, it does go down. So if I look at, I, like looking at, so something, we're not talking about celiac, obviously. Right. Celiac is different. That's an autoimmune disease that yeah. will never go away. Right. But yeah, the gluten intolerances can come down and I've seen them come down in tests when you've done them a year apart and you've done gut healing and somebody hasn't exposed themselves to the food. The thing is though, if depending again on all other pieces, if someone goes back to let's say eating gluten every single day, often the intolerances right, will it's gonna go create the damage. and come back up again. So, but there oh, seems wow. to be like a Goldilocks level for everybody that once you've done a lot of healing and you've lowered inflammation and you've made changes in your life that you can get away with eating little bits here and there without having a major reaction right. we touched on the diet mm -hmm. but what is a general good diet that you would recommend to support a healthy gut? gut um a lot depends on the health of the gut so a lot of the time so let's say if someone's got a lot of candida overgrowth or a lot of bacterial overgrowth um and they're really really sick then you're going to go more towards a really low-carb, stricter diet. Um, and that's where we look at some of like the paleo and the keto diets. Not that I'm a big fan of them long-term, but often mm. from a, when you're really trying to heal the gut or give the gut a break, they can work well. Okay, so it's a short-term thing. It's a short-term sort of right. solution. Um, and yep. you look at like even the carnivore, I don't know if you've done any of there's the whole carnivore movement in the US where people are literally just eating meat because their guts are so... Yeah. But to me, that's not an answer long-term because... On the flip side, when you cut grains out completely, grains have a lot of our B vitamins. They actually feed a lot of the good bacteria. So when I see people who've, when I do stool testing on people who've been paleo and keto for a long time, they have very little good bacteria in the gut, even though they've managed to get rid of some of the, the bad stuff. So I, don't, I personally don't think it's a good long-term right. solution. For me, it's about moderation and about eating a whole foods heavy plant-based diet so what does that mean L veggies should be the cornerstone of a, a specific diet veggies that's a superhero veggie i know i don't <laughs> believe in okay one i hate the whole world of superfoods yeah. because to me every food is a superfood like asparagus yeah. and artichokes and all of that no. everybody every everyone has their you know okay maybe not iceberg lettuce which is nutritionally or grapes which are kind of full of sugar yeah but every that's the thing it's all about variety and different colors and different nutrients and polyphenols so every veggie has something good to give you mm. and so the key is not to just eat 
certain ones because they supposedly it's to eat everybody and everything and like a rainbow of different veggies because each of them kind of bring their piece to the table you know the cruciferous veggies are very good for helping with detoxification like broccoli and cauliflower the leafy greens are high in folate especially if you have meth- methylation issues um your 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 berries are incredibly high in antioxidants which are so useful mm. you know so everybody has that's true their their strength you know your your certain you know like if you think of something where if it's red or orange that all means that it's got a certain type of nutrient in it that adds value so yeah i'm not a big believer in like the superfoods i'm like but what i am a believer in is trying to get up to like nine servings a day so at least five at least five cups of veggies a day okay. which is pretty hard if you think of it unless you're really focusing yeah but the end of the day, my jaw is really tired because i'm chewing all the <laughs> salad <laughs> but that's what we actually need um to be healthy and then you know fruits are good but not too much fruit because fruit is still very high in sugar i see that a mm-hmm. lot of people making mistakes in sort of a healthy diet where their diet is almost too high in fruit and they, they've kind of caused a bit of a yeast overgrowth in their gut because of it right um so you know two fruits a day is pretty good and your better fruits are your berries and your kiwis and your stone fruits and mm. you know bananas have benefits because of the potassium level but you know bananas are very high in sugar as well yeah um you know mangoes are high in sugar so grapes as i said those are some of the fruits that maybe not like a sometimes fruit. Sometimes fruit, but you should focus on other fruits. Um, so good fats. Which are? Um, like avocado, olive oil, your nuts and seeds. Those are all mm. really important for overall health from an inflammation perspective, but also for gut health. Um, whole grains. So brown rice, quinoa, millet, um, buckwheat. You know, the whole gluten or not gluten question, I don't think everyone needs to be gluten free. Mm. Um, I think it's worth being tested and knowing for sure um but you really want to eat wheat that hasn't been com- you know completely hybridized over and over again so rather eat sourdough or you know try find things that are made from heirloom wheat varieties because those are sort of haven't been the ancient, grains. the ancient grains um so that's kind of the way you want to think of the whole grain world and red rice and and again variety with the grains too mm. not eating the same thing all the time um, and then you almost kind of look at protein as your as the condiment, which you, majority of the time protein is the main thing on the plate, and all the rest is sort of the condiment. You've got to almost flip that on its side, where majority of it is plant based and veggies, um, and then you add in the protein as kind I of. I love that point of view. Yeah, that is that's so cool. the way I see it. And then I kind of see from an overall world perspective, you're cutting down the amount you know animal produce needed because people are only eating little bits of it is there a certain of time of the day that we should eat certain food um there's so many different theories i can't say i've ever seen any good research that's one or the other some people say if you're like you're really adrenally tired you should really focus on protein um morning and afternoon when you want your cortisol levels to go up and then you should have a little bit of carbs of dinner when you really want your tryptophan to be going and your cortisol levels to be going right. down then the weight loss people say the complete opposite because you know you shouldn't eat carbs at night so i think you've got to kind of go with what feels right for you you know same with intermittent fasting um you know the research is very interesting there's massive health benefits and it seems like somewhere between 12 to 16 but it seems 16 hours is like 
the magic number. And it does really work for some people. But if you, especially for females, and especially if you're quite stressed out and your cortisol levels struggle, then a lot of people will feel really bad not eating because you put a lot of stress on the body to mm. keep blood sugars up. So again, intermittent fasting is great, but it's not for... So it does work. It does detoxify the body. I wouldn't say it detoxifies the body, but it really helps with like um, insulin resistance, with gut health issues because it's giving the, the gut a longer break. It helps with weight loss. So yeah, I remember being told just be careful as a female doing it. It, it messes with your hormones. Hormones, exactly. And I've seen that. So How did it mess up so someone's it, it, hormones? Definitely the stress piece. So if someone doesn't is is quite stressed out so their cortisol levels are already sort of imbalanced then you're putting a lot of pressure on the body to keep the blood glucose up Mm. so they can almost feel a little bit worse so then i almost recommend 12 hours so most people can do 12 hours like if you have dinner at seven or eight and you have breakfast at seven or or eight yeah that's doable for most people for 16 and again so it's finding that perfect amount but i do think a break really does make a big difference. I see the people who sort of have their dinners at nine, ten, especially because of work things, and then wake up and have their breakfast quite early. They're not giving their bodies enough right. rest from food. Do you do intermittent fasting? I try for twelve. So I am one of those people who um, I need breakfast. You would be all grumpy. If I you would don't be eat. a grumpy, <laughs> miserable human being if I didn't do breakfast. But again, some people are like fine, and 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 you know, some people it's the, it's the opposite thing. Other people are like, you always have to have breakfast. Well, actually, no. Some people yeah. don't eat breakfast and actually do better without it, and that's okay as well, right? It's just one of those things where it's so individualized. Totally. I think that's the I biggest hate those thing. Because you, can, you can't just have one answer. You know, like I've been in this industry for almost 20 years now and I've seen every fad come and go. And, and that's what I come down to. It's all about moderation, whole foods and individualization. There's never going to be one thing that's great for everybody. Okay, granted, sugar is probably off for everybody. Yeah. And that's one. If we talk about things you really want to take out your diet for gut health, if there's one thing that you could right. take out... It would be sugar. Sugar has zero nutritional value. Like there's no reason we need sugar. And we need carbs, you know, to give us energy. But you can get that from whole grains and from fruit. But we have zero need for sugar. And sugar really messes the gut. Um, Alcohol too. What microbiome test would you recommend to your patients and why? Um, so I am still I still use quite an old school one that's been around for a long time. Um, I'm allowed to mention yes, that. Yes. So I use a company called Doctors Data in the U.S., Um, which does a combination of culturing. So they actually grow and see what's growing in the store. They also look under a microscope to see what's in it. And then they do some um, DNA or PCR testing for parasites. I still like it because I find out all the tests that catches Candida the best out of Mm. all of them. Um, There are some newer tests that do a lot of um, DNA testing, kind of touts it as the best, but... I find that test misses candida and I always I don't always find it clinically as accurate. And part of that is just instinct. I can't even tell you is based on total. I just feel like doctor's data, clinically, the results always make sense. And when you can I better them, diagnose. I, better, I can better diagnose someone. I know what to do. They get better. So I find I'm going to trust that, right? Yes. Over a test that I get that kind of looks really cool. But then, and then there's some interesting testing that's coming out in different parts of the world where you, where they're looking at, the whole microbiome and 
looking at all the different, like what's growing and then giving recommendations on diet based on which bacteria you have and you don't have. That's quite interesting. It's not really looking at the pathological stuff. Yeah. So like doctor's data is looking at like, well, what's growing that shouldn't be there. Right. But those type of testing are looking at, well, overall diet and your bacteria, what should you, which is quite interesting because what should you be eating? So I think there's, it's going to be interesting to see where that develops. And I definitely think, we're only touching the surface. Like very soon, we're going to have a much more, probably in the next five years, a much more comprehensive gut test, which probably brings all those pieces. So we get a much bigger understanding of the good bacteria and what should be there and what isn't there and what foods you should be eating specifically for you. So how cool will it be eventually if we have like, you know, like smart toilets or something? Exactly. Oh, wow. Which like you go with, with your result away. come up based on your poo and actually, oh, today you didn't have enough X. Wow. I feel like that's where we're we're going um, with the technology. Eventually, it will yeah, get Yeah, I mean, th- I know there's like a mail-in yeah. microbiome test already and you basically buy the kit, you send in the samples yeah. three weeks later. And that's the one that kind of results. looks at, yeah, what's, what's, it doesn't really tell you so much about the bad, right. but it does tell you of which good is there or not and what you should be maybe eating more of. And wow. I think it's interesting. The so I can't toilet. wait till it's all, you got the comprehensive. Yes. Can you share a case study where someone was able to improve their health dramatically from learning about their overall, yeah, their overall gut health status? Wow, there's so many. I'm just trying to think about oh. that. I mean, like, <laughs> can I pull on right in front of me? Um, okay, so I treated a patient who um, was actually, so it was a chronic, like chronic gut issues and immune stuff as well. So she was getting sick all the time. Um, I always do a combination. So in her case, I did, I didn't do DNA testing, but I did food intolerance and gut testing and a whole lot of blood testing as well. So she had a whole lot of nutrient deficiencies, which also can hugely tie in the gut because if your gut doesn't have the right bacteria um, and is leaky, you will either not be absorbing, you sometimes you absorb things you don't want to absorb, like toxins and the toxins from the the bad stuff, but you also end up not absorbing food and nutrients as well. So it's often a clue of gut health when people have really poor levels of like B12 and iron and Mm. vitamin. Well, D is a complicated one, but gut is semi-involved in the beginning part of vitamin D. Um, So yeah, so we did her testing. Food intolerance-wise, I can't remember exactly. I feel like it was dairy um, and maybe gluten or eggs. But the big issue with her was an overgrowth of candida. And so she was a very compliant patient. Like we went on a strict candida diet. She took the dairy out. Her like her husband. I know her husband, and he was. He would come up to me at things at school and be like, "I can't believe you did this to my life." Because <laughs> like, he was suffering. <laughs> he was well. suffering. But her her transformation was amazing. She lost ten kilograms. Um, she like is healthier than she's been in years from an energy perspective, from a mood perspective. Like she, and she chose to, which is what I see a lot of the time. Like some people, yes, they want to know when can I go back on, but a lot of people make the changes in their health. And then they're like, but this, I love feeling this way. Would I, why would I go back? Mm-hmm. You know, now she can go for dinner with her husband for maybe like pasta and a salad and share something, but she chooses, she's changed her whole sort of lifestyle and what she eats and how she eats. Um, and she's kept it like, and she's doing incredibly wow. well. Like I don't see it. Like she'll, you know, she'll message me if she needs something. Yes. Um, and she stayed on certain supplements just to kind of keep her in health. But her, it was, it was an interesting case just cause I like connection to her in the sense of she's, and I see her all the time, yes. she's, you know, but it's amazing. Like, and it's, it was so simple. 
Like it wasn't complicated, but a lot of it had to do with how compliant she was. Um, so just cutting out dairy. Cutting out dairy and going on a candida diet. So she took out. So what is a candida diet? So a candida diet is basically taking out things that will feed the bad stuff in the gut. So sugar, yeast, refined carbs, like certain mushrooms, soy sauce, things like that. Everything that's sort of certain cheeses. Right. And going on kind of the kind of healthy diet we were talking about. And then before. I guess she feels so good that totally. obviously she's not going to miss all that exactly. stuff. Exactly. So it shifted on all levels, like, as wow. I said, immunity, mood, energy, the weight loss, and then the gut stuff, which is what we were actually treating to begin with. That's inspiring because so many people think they have to live with that. That's their Totally. Norm. A PMS, you know, heavy periods. Women just accept it as something so that's that is normal. No, it's not so normal. I don't have it, but I don't understand why people... You, it's so not normal. Yes, maybe a day or two, but like PMS tells me... So what's causing PMS? There's so many reasons, but, you know, definitely imbalance of hormones. But the gut actually plays a role because candida overgrowth, the toxins that candida produce actually bind to estrogen receptors. So sometimes it's actually your gut that's causing your PMS. Wow. And majority of the time, anyone with bad overgrowth of candida often has PMS. It's like a telling sign. So there's so many things people live with that chronic anxiety, you know, low-grade anxiety, not needing to be medicated. Um... PMS, low energy, cognitive not functioning, be, like which they don't have to live with. If, if you know, if you make changes in your health, you, you really there, there's so many things we can do, and it, and it can be start with something as simple as drinking more water and cutting out sugar. Like those are two yeah. simple things people can do, and sleep. That can wow. make a massive difference. Um, I remember last week I was in a. Yeah, I'm not taking care of myself enough, <laughs> so I'm going to eat ice cream instead. <laughs> and for three days, I was so grumpy and moody. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was just tired and feeling sorry for myself. And I noticed that every day I was having ice, ice cream, cream. And it was a form of inflammation and brain fog, right? Mm-hmm. So I cut it out and it was gone. It's insane. Same. I know. But we don't talk you about know. it. We don't know that. And it's, so, it's sometimes really hard to judge because it's... With, like, with inflammation related to food, it's not instant. It's not like an allergy that you eat something into. It's like something you've had 24 hours to 48 hours before. Yeah. And then it sometimes takes three days to feel normal after you've... So it's much harder to kind of figure out what it is that yeah. caused it. But when you do, you're like, oh, <laughs> like exactly how <laughs> you feel. Yeah. Um, we're going to get a bit personal. What compelled you to get into this field in the first place? So um, I was always going to be a doctor. I was one of those people from like age three. I just knew that's what I wanted to do with my life. And it's um, may sound really weird, but one of my spirit, like one of I'm quite a spiritual person. And one of my guides is my great grandfather who was Mm. a doctor. So it's almost like it's been intuitively part of my life. And he was my grandmother's father who I was incredibly close with my grandmother, my whole life. Um, So it was almost like in my DNA, like that's what I was going to do. Um, and I went off to university when I was 18 to the U.S. to be pre-med um, at a really good school. And I ended up getting really ill there. Um, I ended up getting chronic fatigue at age 18. And my whole life kind of fell apart. I was, um, And I had to take a year from college and no one can work out. And finally an infectious disease specialist at a specialized um, university hospital in South Africa worked out what it was. Um, and I actually had to take a year from my life. And then I went back to school there, but then I decided it was the wrong place. And I ended up finishing my undergrad in nutrition um, in the UK, but I was still like two years into the degree. I'm like, I don't want to be a nutritionist. I want to be a doctor. Um, and I had been working part-time as in a, in a pharmacy and I picked up a book 
and I was flipping through this book about vitamins and I'd always been interested in herbs. Um, and at the back of the book, it was like written by a naturopathic doctor. And I was like, what's a naturopathic doctor? And then I started to read about it and I was like, oh my God, like here is the profession that I want. Both. I can be both. Um, and so when I finished my degree, you know, my third year, I kind of did all my, finished my pre-med requirements while finishing my nutrition degree and I applied to, um, so naturopathy, and naturopath medicine is interesting in the world. It's a not very regulated profession and very different in the different countries. Um, the U.S. and Canada has the most um, intense training where you have to do a four-year undergrad in pre-med and then it's a four-year medical program. Mm. Um, so I chose to go there. Wow. Um, and I went to a college in Arizona. Um, and then I stayed and did my residency there for a year um, before. So, yeah, I found – I was one, I'm one of those lucky human beings that found wow. through negative – on the journey, but found my calling or what I was meant to actually do with my life. Did you work out what got you really ill when you were um, 18? We think it was a combination of things. This, there's partly possibly a virus. Um, also, I went from Cape Town, South Africa to um, New Hampshire in the US. So I think my little body like went from warm weather to freezing cold weather. And being a type A individual, I was pre-med. I was running track. I was doing dance mm. classes. I was doing women in science projects. I just kind of through and then I was part you know like still a freshman in college and yeah. a sophomore in college and partying and so I think it was a combination of things but I also believe that it was what what was meant to be because h- had I not had that experience I may have just gone on the traditional track to medical school which wouldn't have been what I was meant to do so yeah. and I always feel through your own personal struggle you become a better whatever totally. it is that you be totally you, you have to compassion be, right? you can understand what yes. other people are going through I mean I treat a lot of children and I've always treated a lot of kids, but since I've had my own kids, it's much easier for me mm. to, you know, understand kids and meet. So I totally agree. And I still, I mean, I treat men, but I still obviously prefer treating women because that's There's a, strong that's connection, a stronger right? connection in what I understand. Exactly. I'm going to fly over to probiotics, prebiotics and all that stuff because, correct me if I'm wrong, I, from what I understand is when we have gut issues or if we want to create healthy gut we need to pay attention to the probiotics that's in our body be it a pill mm-hmm. or fermented foods what are your thoughts on that there's so many strands i can't keep track. track so my general rule with probiotics so there's a big difference between prebiotics and probiotics prebiotics provide food to the bacteria in your gut to make them grow probiotics are basically taking those good bacteria in a pill straight into the gut. Mm. So that's the difference. Um, And a lot depends on what's actually growing in your gut. So fermented foods are very controversial because if you've got a really good gut, you can put a bunch of fermented foods in there and you're going to be giving the good bacteria food. But if you've got a whole bunch of stuff that shouldn't be there, if you put fermented foods in, you might actually be feeding the wrong things. especially with things like kombucha and kefir, which are almost made from sugar ferment. So I have no idea what's growing in those, but I see still samples of people who go on kombucha and kefir and I start to see all sorts of weird stuff growing in their gut that shouldn't be there. So they feed all bacteria. They don't just feed the healthy healthy. bacteria. No, where you're safer going for like um, pickled, you know, like salt pickled veggies and NATO and things that are like pure ferments. Mm. Those seem to like coconut yogurt, like those seem to feed... And like sauerkraut really brings up lactobacillus for interest, interesting, which is a really good bacteria in our gut. So, so ferments are an 
an interesting one mm. and y- you've got to be careful and look at your own gut and sort of the relationship that you can have with yeah, ferment. So don't just scull down bottles of kombucha. No. And because you can end up in more trouble. Right. Um, resistant starch is a type of starch that really feeds some of the really good bacteria in the gut. And you can either buy resistant starch or like green bananas or cooked and cooled potatoes or sweet potatoes that you eat the next day really feed a lot of good Hang bacteria. On, so you cook it and then eat it the next day? Yeah. What's and the same difference? with rice. Rice, rice that's cooked too? and co- cook, cooled and cooked has higher amounts of resistant starch, which really feeds the good bacteria. Oh. In the gut. So those are simple ways. So those are all what we call prebiotics. So stuff. then you don't need to buy those no. powders. No, you right? don't. You can just do it from food. Okay. And the same with prebiotic food. Like, you know, you mentioned artichoke. Like, there's certain foods that really, veggies that are, are prebiotic. That's what veggies really are in a lot of ways. I mean, they're prebiotics. They're full of antioxidants. And then you've got the world of probiotics, which is like a minefield. Yeah. My general rule is, um, you know, buy from companies that are really good. Don't buy, if it's cheap, there's a reason it's cheap. Like if it's expensive, there's a reason it's expensive. Mm. Um, do a broad spectrum because as I said, like everyone's different. So you don't know which good bacteria you don't have. So if you buy things that have at least eight to 15 different strains, hopefully the strain that you need will be How many strains in there. are out there? Oh God, like hundreds. As I, say, I mean, some of them are more researched than others. Right. So as the more researched, the, the probiotic companies are adding different strains. So the minimum we should look for is 8 to 15, exactly. ideally. Ideally, yeah. And then it's the amounts too. So, you know, like our, our gut needs, I mean, I was, the, I think it was, a, a, he mentioned a level of like, you know, like you need to, I think it's like, f- like even 50 billion is just the beginning of making any dent in your large intestine, right? So if you see these 1 billion probiotics, maybe for kids, but yeah, They're I used to think it was all so strong and I realized we have 90 trillion. Exactly. So you, you aren't even making a dent probably into like you're in 50 to 100 billion of right. probiotics. Are those available? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? They are. Do you guys sell it here? We I have, like. yeah. We have, so we have two, um, we've chosen two specific um, companies, uh, Bioceuticals and Claire Labs, who are known for sort of being some of the best um, probiotic producers in the professional industry. Um, okay. Their standards are incredibly high. They're doing a lot of research. They technology to make sure that what you're taking actually reaches the, the gut. gut. Um, and then like the refrigerated, non-refrigerated. Refrigerated, I've generally found better. Though Claire and another company have come out with a new like um, technology that apparently they are going to be sort of pr- like uh, producing one that's that's not refrigerated, fifty billion to hundred billion that does reach the intestines, but I haven't used them clinically yet. So I'm trying, I'm going to trial one soon to see if that's true or not true. That'd be great for trialing and stuff, right? Um, And then like, I like, I personally use a lot of the Claire women's one because it doesn't have strep in it. And I seem to do better without strep in my probiotic. Um, It's a type, like it's a lot of good bacteria. You'll see we'll have strep something. I think it's thermo something. So that's a type of bacteria. It's a type of bacteria. So you don't, I feel like I do better on the probiotics. They don't have strep. So there's probably, st- I haven't done my stool test recently, but there's probably a little bit of strep overgrowth in my gut. So maybe, right. so, and, and also if one probiotic doesn't work for you, it won't mean that all probiotics won't work. testing? So you've got to try different ones. So how do you know when it's working? So a good, I can tell you this. So because okay. I have, my gut will know. If I'm on a probiotic that works, I go to the bathroom every day. It's completely formed. I have no issues. It's not sticky. There's nothing like my gut's not gassy. I can usually get away with cheating a little bit with one or two foods and without pushing it. And I'm, I'll be okay. 
if it's not good, I'll get really constipated. Things will. Oh. And then there's the world of like soil-based probiotics and spore-based probiotics, which are interesting. And again, everybody's different. For, so they work for some, they don't work for others. Some people do better on a straight probiotic. Even the ones we oh, have wow. downstairs, I'll have one patient that'll do really well on one, but it's not that everyone will do well on one. They'll, you know, so, yeah. and it just, so what it comes down to is everybody's guts are different. So... Is there an ingredient that we should definitely avoid in probiotics? Because sometimes they're a bit sweet. Do they put sugar yeah, in Yeah, you it? should never take a probiotic that has sugar Right, in. so what kind of names would it be hidden under usually? Um, I'm trying to... Because I remember someone... my husband picked up a probiotic. So, oh, I'm not having this. That This is like a type of sugar. sugar. I never even questioned Maybe, it. or sometimes I'll put honey maybe, or some of the... Stevia? Stevia. Or, I mean, stevia, stevia technically is not that that bad okay. but maybe some of the sugar alcohols like malatol flavored with things like that you wouldn't really want you really want right. something that's got like lactobacillus strains and bifidobacterium strains um you know different different species in lactobacillus and bifidobacterium and then a good billion like a good at least 50 25 to 50 billion to start okay but then some people as unhealthy your gut is you need I was just about amounts. to ask you, um, is there a chance of having too much probiotic and causing an overgrowth of bacteria? Not in really in the large intestine, but it, like in what's small, even in the small intestine, yeah. So small, if you have what's SIBO, which is called small intestinal bowel overgrowth, then yes, too much probiotics. And actually, it's a sign that someone has SIBO where they can't take probiotics. Because oh, so there are people who can't take probiotics. There are people who will have a negative reaction to probiotics. And now that we understand SIBO more, we're starting to realize it's probably because they have small intestinal bile overgrowth. So their bacteria is somehow feeding stuff that's already overgrown. So how did that happen? So SIBO is an interesting one. Um, it seems to be either co- mostly caused by like having a food poisoning incident at some point where the motility in the gut gets mixed up, messed up, and then uh, bacteria from the large intestine end up in the small intestine. So that's a whole different... We're not going down that conversation today. <laughs> All right. I'm so interested in inflammation because, mm-hmm. as I was telling you before, I always thought inflammation was bad. Got to get rid of it so the body can feel better. What is inflammation? Because I was wrong. Um, so inflammation, in very simple terms, is when the body is, you know, certain things will trigger inflammation, um, which trigger like cytokines and interleukins in our body. Those levels go up. And then they they cause other things to happen. So if you're acutely ill, if you've been exposed to a virus or bacteria, you want that inflammation. That inflammation goes up, your immune system goes into gear, and it starts to fight. So that's why if you you know the people who are on sort of some of the stronger drugs for the autoimmune system, um, the the biologic drugs, those often block the levels of like say interleukins. Um, so those people are more likely to get sick. And not be able, and they've got to be very careful of getting sick because their immune systems don't. The, the chronic inflammation has been blocked, but the acute inflammation has been blocked as well. Right. So those drugs are very interesting, and it's, I always try and prevent people going on those because it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. It, so so yeah, so acute inflammation is something you want. You hurt your knee, you know, you want everything you want inflammation because that brings all the, Im- the immune system and the blood cells right. to where you want to go that's a really good thing however chronic inflammation 
which has become a massive issue in disease in the modern world because of all the things that we are having that are triggering chronic inflammation. So we have chronic viruses that don't want to clear. We have food, as mm. we were talking about earlier. We have gut bacteria and stuff that are producing toxins. We have toxicity that's producing chronic inflammation. Um, and so chronic inflammation is not good because that's what then leads to you know, autoimmune disease, brain inflammation, depression and anxiety, heart disease, l- cancer mm. long-term, chronic pain. So, so how would you know if you're suffering from inflama- like chronic inflammation? Just if you're not feeling good in general, just that So some of the like- simple ones are like achy, being achy all the time. Mm. Brain fog is a big one. Um, you just can't... You know, but we just think we're busy and we, we're not yeah. sleeping enough and tired. And right? that's, but that's inflammation. So when you don't sleep enough, you, it causes inflammation. So lack, really? lack of sleep is inflammation that's caused. That's why you're ending up with brain Does fog. one night of bad sleep cause inflammation or is it build up? Um, it is a build up, but even one night can cause inflammation on that. Because the body's day. under stress, yeah. right? And what's very interesting, I'm trying to get, there's a, there's a lab in the US um, who is measure, who's, who's doing blood testing for all the cytokines and the interleukins, the good and the bad ones. Um, we're trying to be able to start doing it through a lab here because to me that's really interesting because I'm telling all my patients all the time, uh, this, you've got Klebsiella that's causing over LPS toxin, which is causing inflammation. And they're looking at me and I'm like, and that's causing, but if I could actually show them, look, these levels are higher than they should be and that's, the inflammation could make much more sense, right? Of what's going on in their system. And it's interesting. And that's why I think the natural things, because if I think of something like turmeric, which I use a lot in my practice, um, is just amazing because it's a detoxer and it prevents brain inflammation and overall inflammation. But it doesn't seem to have the negative effect on on the good sort of um, inflammatory markers. So your immunity won't be weaker and turmeric will actually be stronger which Can is I quite have interesting a, just a powder or does it have to be medical i've had better it d- i guess it depends on what you're using it for like okay. you know if i'm i'm treating sometimes really ill people i want to use the clinical grade stuff that i know works yeah. that the research has been done on but if you're just wanting it to incorporate and in maintenance in your daily life then right the turmeric powder is good so not all inflammations are equal no but how do we know when we need to treat it and when to just let it run its course um, I guess it would depend on how like how much your quality of life is affected. So if you have a cold, your cold should clear, right? Mm. If you if you stop and actually climb into bed and you know look after yourself, Maybe you should be yeah, in four to five have. days. You should be better, right? Um, or you're like me and popped a whole lot of olive <laughs> and I was coming down with something, you know, within 48 hours, I'm okay. Um, what was that again? It's a like a, herb, a very high dose olive leaf product that works really olive well leaf <laughs> as an oh. antiviral to push up everything and get my body but so yes yeah, so i guess but the minute you're having i mean yeah the minute you're just not feeling well on a daily basis and that's how a lot of my patients come in and tell me you know like all oh, my blood tests are normal everything's fine but i just i don't feel well mm. my mood is not good i'm tired when i shouldn't be even if i've had sleep um, right. You know, I'm achy. It's this ongoing. I'm it's this ongoing, like feeling kind of crappy. And you know what's un- unfortunate is in the sense of I wish people would come in more at that stage because often they come in once they've got the autoimmune disease or mm. they've had the first cardiovas- you know, the cardiovascular incident right. or 
where it's the key is to actually think about it when you're not feeling because then you know something's off right and if you start to treat it and figure out what you could prevent suffering long term oh that is really important information Mm -hmm. because we think bad feeling bad mood is just a personal emotional thing but it's actually a sign from the body sometimes i mean it depends like everyone has a bad you know we have bad days right we have stressful days this is like continual your months months and or weeks of just not being able to snap yourself out of it do anti-inflammation products actually inhibit the healing process so it the depends which ones so for example i i had a sprain and then the doctor gives me volterin right so i'm thinking should i let it heal naturally or should i nip it in the butt so sometimes nipping it in the butt for things like that short term will will actually help oh yeah why is that because too much inflammation can also be a little bit and it'll cause other problems problems and damaging yeah right so sometimes they do play a role yeah. in helping short the term. healing the problem is you don't short term is like a few days yeah you don't want to use anything like that long term do you think fasting will help the healing process of the inflammation yeah the process of digesting and stuff takes energy takes processes takes stuff away from your body so when you fast you kind of are taking a, a bit of inflammation away yeah really simple things that people can yeah. just do right when i was a resident i went to spend time at a water fasting center um in the northwest of the u.s and they have cured um they don't they have less success with dynamic disease like autoimmune disease where the people are better when they're there but if they go back to their in regular the diets the inflammation comes back, but they've had amazing success with, let's say, like cardiovascular disease, where water fasting people has e- actually eaten away the plaque. Wow! And how long was the fast? They've done some long. They they they, they do weeks of water fasting. It's like an inpatient facility where people are monitored. It's very interesting. Wow! Not that I think that's for everybody, but it's yeah. a really interesting. Well, it's another alternative, alternative option yeah, sure. before you try other stuff that really destroys, destroys the your body. body. Yeah. Right. I also want to ask about the epigenetics and you talked about the dna test Mm -hmm. how has that knowledge changed the way you treat your patient Patient. hugely as i said because even to the decision where i can look at a food intolerance test and decide if a two plus on a food as opposed to a four plus matters because somebody's prone to inflammation um i can look and see someone doesn't detox properly or doesn't methylate properly and then i need to go looking at toxicity as a reason why they're ill Mm. so it gives me that level of inflammation it also allows me to understand like especially if someone's life is not changing like if i can't send them to go live you know in a farm somewhere and clean air and perfect food then i know that there's certain supplements that some people might just need to be on for life Mm. in certain environments to keep them healthy what what are some of those supplements um so definitely if you have methylation issues like certain b vitamins unless you really can get it from food but it's it's quite difficult Mm. uh like omega-3s um turmeric sometimes like detoxification support whether it be glutathione or nac or something like enduracell which is broccoli sprouts so those are the usually the areas that i feel like some people just need Magnesium as well. If you have a, a gene called a comp gene and you don't get rid of your norepinephrine and epinephrine very well, then extra magnesium can really help with anxiety. So it definitely helps. And then if you're prone to cardiovascular disease, you know certain lifestyle stuff or prone to diabetes, you can really make decisions on your lifestyle. It's all preventative. That will pre- stuff. It's all preventative. Exactly. That's what I love about yeah. it. Yeah. And it's really helped me to 
make decisions based on for that person as opposed to just the general because some people are really lucky right and they can kind of get away with eating whatever and yeah. live till 105 and smoke and those and you look at their genes and you're like oh you're not prone to inflammation you don't you know like you can see it yeah. they're they're just healthy and wow. you're like you're lucky you know what are your thoughts on nad um so it's an, are you talking about like nadh like the true yes nadh? i mean it, it's for the mitochondria so that's where it works a lot as an anti-aging thing i've never seen like i they things that i would use over that it's often in okay. combination products for like mitochondrial support and i've never seen clinically anyone taking it that that it's like miraculous right because they they reckon it's anti-aging yes. it's longevity is there any harm in taking it no, you're not going to hurt yourself. So what would you use over that? Um, I like turmeric. I like Reservatrol. Or I use more of like a combination antioxidant product that has a bit of other things in a it. more history. history or, yeah, a more overall mitochondrial product. All right, we're running out of time. So I'm just going to ask you a few closing questions. And sure. they're just rapid fire. You don't have to think too much about them. What is your most gifted or memorable book? <laughs> That's an interesting one. I think a book that somebody gave me was the way of the peaceful warrior have you ever read no, that book no i haven't it's years ago i actually should read it again but I, I remember getting it from a person i was traveling with years ago and it just something resonated in me in the sense of this person kind of changed their whole way of thinking and interacting with the world it's a beautiful book what is the best lesson your mom or your dad taught you i actually i would say I've learned a lot from my mom and my dad, but as I said, I was very close to my grandmother. And the one thing she always said to me, and one of the best lessons I've had is, um, this too shall pass. You know, every time you're mm. in a thing, in a situation or something that's going on and you're like, how's this going to fix itself or how? And it, it, it always does. And it's just remembering that you might be in it right now, but this will pass at some point. Beautiful. And lastly, what are your, clo- what are your closing thoughts on how natural treatments through research could inspire optimal health? Wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's what we're seeing already. Because now that we're seeing the research, let's say, on epigenetics and the research on the gut um, and the research on nutrients and all of it starting to catch up with things that we've known and believed in for hundreds of years, it's, it's limitless. And that's why you're starting to see the whole world of functional medicine where all the medical doctors are suddenly realizing, wait a minute, maybe the way we've been treating is wrong. We need to look at things yeah. in a different way. So I think we're just, we're just beginning to go down this path. And I think we're going to see a huge shift in, in perception and the way that you, know, you can see the wellness industry has become a, a billion-dollar industry because people are starting to care about optimal wellness. And the general public are more open-minded to So it, much right? more open-minded, yeah. Thank you so much, Benita. My pleasure. Where can people find you? So um, I practice at IMI, um, which is an integrated um, clinic in Central, in Hong Kong. So it's imi.com.hk, right? Yeah, imi.com.hk. Great. And do you have a other website or any personal projects that people should look into? I do a lot of – so through IMI, um, we do, I do a lot of corporate talking as well okay. so we've developed a series which is basically the superhero superwoman and superman and um, sort of how to continue to be a superhero superwoman in this sort of world that we live in but like all these things that we've been talking about all these wellness hacks that you can do to stay well but still continue to be an achiever oh wow um, so that's yeah so an area that's growing and something i really enjoy doing because i'm getting in to sort of deliver this message to more than just one person that's sitting in in my room, but 
to yes and people who really need it i mean they're in high yeah. stress positions exactly. in hong kong and whatnot. so yeah so it's so we have so we have imi and we have the imi corporate wellness at work brand as oh, well fantastic thank you so much again my pleasure thank you for having me Thanks. I really appreciate Benita for taking the time to share her knowledge. We don't have to live with low energy, bloating or anxiety. There are simple things we can do to feel better. We're just scratching the surface on this topic and would definitely love a part two with more insights. Benita and I would love to hear back from you. What's the single biggest insight that you're taking away from this conversation today? And how can you put into action right now in your life? The best conversations happen after the episode over at interested.blog or my Interested Podcast Facebook page. So go on over there and access the show notes and leave a comment now. Subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts or Spotify. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. 